in just a moment. Now, not yet. But in just a moment, I'm going to put a picture. I think I got it in in time. On the screen of one of my mortal enemies. This enemy I fight against, it seems like, every year. And just when I think I've got it licked, it comes back with a vengeance. And oftentimes, when I think I've got it licked, I'll see it creeping in from the borders around where I live. Is that picture in there? Is it in there, Steve? How many of you left there like dandelions? Oh, stop it. No, you don't. No, you don't. You know what I'm talking about. You think you got it taken care of. You got a yard working. Everything's going. And then you see them just popping up. And when you get them licked from your yard, when they're not in your yard anymore, you know what you see? You notice all your neighbors. Won't you take care of that problem so it doesn't become my problem? Anybody ever? You don't have to admit it here, but you know you do, right? Here's the thing. It just sort of creeps in. And without you knowing it, you walk out one day and it's been there dormant. And then it pops We're in a series called Age of Kings. And in this series, we've talked about the kings of Israel. And today we're going to talk about the topic of compromise. Compromise is a lot like dandelions. It kind of creeps in. You don't realize it. And one day you realize it's there. And just when you think, well, I'm taking care of my problem, you see it coming in from the edges and from the people around you. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 22. Today we're going to talk about one of my favorite kings, but we're going to talk really about three kings, and one of them's a good king and two of them are not, but today we're going to talk about Josiah. Let me tell you what kind of environment Josiah walked into. He walked into a country that had been compromised greatly. That was no longer living as God intended for them to live. That it walked away from the law of the Lord. That it walked away from what he wanted them to do. That had turned their back on him. And in fact, we're going to look a little bit at what that compromise looked like. Because the severity of the compromise in this moment is astounding. But look at 2 Kings chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. I just want to laugh when I read that. Right? Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. Eight-year-old king. How would y'all feel if the next president of the United States was eight? What did you say? We didn't. I almost didn't ask that question because I expected that answer. Here's the thing. Any of y'all here have any experience with eight year old minds? I happen. I just thought this would be fun today because um, because I wanted to kind of set the scene of how remarkable the story of Josiah is. I have an expert on the eight year old mind here today. And I'm going to ask him to join me on stage. Come on, Luke. This is Luke's first public interview, so y'all be nice to him, all right? Okay, so I'm going to ask him some basic questions to kind of get us going here. But Luke, tell us, when is your birthday? July the 11th. Yes. 
That's loud. <laughs> when is July the 11th? Is it soon? Yes. How soon do you know? Friday. <laughs> how, uh, how old are you turning on Friday? Eight. Eight years old. Yeah, that's good, right? So here, let me ask you a couple of questions, okay? What's your favorite food? I didn't tell you I was going to ask you that, did I? I don't know. So what's your favorite food? If you could eat anything for lunch today, what would you eat? Cake. Cake. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Hey, what kind of party are you going to have this week? What's your birthday cake going to be this week? Minecraft. Minecraft. How many of you know what Minecraft is? How many of you have no clue what Minecraft is? Minecraft is a video game where you get to build your own world, right? So what's your favorite thing to build in Minecraft? Houses. Houses. There you go. What do you, what's your favorite thing to do in Minecraft? Just build houses? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you like to blow stuff up too? Do you like to blow stuff up, Luke? Eli likes to do that, but I don't. Okay, so Eli likes to blow stuff up, but he doesn't. All right? So here, let me ask you two more questions, okay? If you, for your birthday Friday, got lots and lots and lots of money, okay? Now, don't count on that. But if you did, what would you buy if you had lots of money? I'm not really sure. You're not sure? What kind of stuff would you buy? Like video games? Yeah. Legos? Scooters? Yeah. yeah. If you were king of our country starting today, what would you want to do? You don't know? You don't have a clue? What would you do to run a nation? I don't know. I don't know. How would you balance the budget? I don't worry, nobody else knows either. But that's You don't know? I don't even know what that means. You don't even know what that means? Good. All right. Hey. You did great. Thank you, ma'am. Now, here's the point I want to make, if I don't fall. It's a dangerous thing when your country falls into the hands of an eight-year-old. Amen? Especially when you're a country as compromised as Israel. Now, let's be honest, okay? He wasn't doing it alone. He had advisors. But I, I want you to read what happens. It tells us his mother's name. And I'll let you read those later because you don't need me to hear to say him. Verse 2. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And walked in the ways of his father, David. Quick question. Is David his father? No. But spiritually he is. Not turning aside to the right or to the left. Now, I want you to notice a word there or something I want you to to understand. He says he did what is right. What that verse really says, what, what we understand from the original language is he made a decision to do what was right. He chose to do what was right. Chose. Because his country was extremely compromised. Now, what do you mean by compromise? What what do we mean by that word? Here's what I mean by compromise. I mean allowing the things that we shouldn't do interfere with the things that we should do. 
I mean knowing what is right to do and doing something else anyways. I mean choosing to ignore what is right and do what is wrong. Now, I want you to notice three things about compromise looking at the stories before that. So if you've got your Bibles open, look at chapter 21. If you don't, just just listen along because we're going to first look at his granddad. Now, Josiah's granddad was a guy named Manasseh. And in honesty, when you hear the name Manasseh, you ought to go, boo. And he was bad, right? So when I say Manasseh, you go, We'll try that again because some of you don't didn't do that very well. When I say Manasseh, you say he was bad. All right. He's a bad guy. When you think about how bad he is, I mean, it is he is the worst of the worst. Ahab bad. We talked to him a couple of weeks ago. Manasseh worse. He's the worst king Israel ever had. Now, here's what's crazy about that. He comes after a good king. Here's what I want you to know. There's three things about compromise. First of all, it takes a while. Look at chapter 21. Manasseh was 12 when he became king. That may be worse than an eight-year-old. I got one of those two. Don't tell your brother I said that. Whatever your name is, Luke, that's your name. I, I do it too. All right. He became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. Here's the crazy thing. Worst king reigned the longest. Verse 2. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, that phrase is used of 20 of the kings of Israel and Judah. The phrase did what was right in the Lord's eyes is used 10. Two thirds did what was evil. But this guy did the worst. So I want you to see the compromise, the length of time, the, how bad it got. He did evil in the lies. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah, the reformer, had destroyed. He erected altars to Baal. He made an Asherah pole, just like Ahab. He bowed to them. He worshipped the starry host. He built altars, look at this, in the temple of the Lord, on which God had said... I will put my name here. He built altars to the starry host. In the temple of the Lord, he added altars. Verse 6 is one of the most tragic verses in all of Scripture. He sacrificed his own son in fire. Practiced sorcery, divination, consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much in the evil eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. He put the carved Asherah pole in the temple. Now, I know that we watch the news and we hear reports and it seems like sometimes things can't get any worse. But can I tell you something? They were worse than Manasseh's reign. He brought symbols of other gods and idols into the temple of God and had people worship that in the temple built for God Almighty. And what I want you to see is this compromise takes time. It went over a long time. It happens slowly. It's not something that just appears. In fact, oftentimes when we get in crisis, what we understand or discover is that crisis is just the unveiling of difficulties that have been going on for a long time already. Well, how in the world did that marriage break up? Well, it's been struggling for 
10 years. Well, how did they ever make that decision? Well, they've been going down that path for six months. Why did they have to file bankruptcy? Because they've been making bad financial decisions for 15 years. And Manasseh was leading this country in a way that was just slowly deteriorating the nation. In our own lives, we have to be careful of this. Now, my guess is none of you are going to bring idols in here and set them up or hopefully sacrifice your children. But we all have areas where compromise begins to creep in, kind of like those dandelions. And if we don't watch it, it fully blooms in the midst of us. And our integrity. Well, I just had to do it that one time because the deal wouldn't go through or they they wouldn't understand. It, It was just a one time thing. But the one time thing becomes a two time thing, becomes a pattern of things. Your morality, well, it was just one slip or one thought or it just I couldn't control it after a while because I let it begin. Financially, no, I don't, I don't have my financial house, but you don't understand it. It just started when we had this happen and I couldn't tithe or I couldn't save or I couldn't do what God would intend me to do. So I just didn't. And then gradually over time, my finances got out of control. I just charged one thing. Something like alcohol. I just had the occasional drink. That turned into the regular drink. That turned into the needed drink. That turned into the demanded drink. That turned into the controlling drink. Priorities. I just decided to stay at the office late one night. And that became two nights a week. And that became every night. We, we just couldn't make it to church on this Sunday because we had this going on and the next thing you know, we've missed two out of three and six out of eight and 50 out of 52 because we make Christmas and Easter. And your relationship with the Lord. Uh, just one morning, I just didn't have time and didn't make time. And this week, I, I really didn't put in the time. And before long, it's a habit of neglect. Here's what I believe about Manasseh. And I, I don't know this. I can't speculate on this. I mean, I can't speculate that's what I'm doing. I don't think he ever intended when he took the throne at 12 years old to become the absolute worst king that had ever been in the history of the nation of Israel or Judah. But one decision led to another to a place where he's standing, sacrificing his son to a different God. Second thing about compromise, we understand it happens slowly, but secondly, it brings God's discipline. In fact, by the way, just just to let you know how terrible it got during Manasseh's reign, there are a lot of scholars that believe, you know, in the the New Testament, in Hebrews, when it gives that list of all the great saints in Hebrews 11, and it talks about the great Saint Elijah who was sawn in two, most people think that was under the direction, or most scholars, of Manasseh. Just putting the timelines together. He squelched the only voice that could really bring him back to the Lord. Verse 10. The Lord said to the servants, the prophets, 
King of Judah has committed these. He has done more evil than the Amorites, which is saying a lot, who preceded him and led Judah to sin with his idols. I am going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Now, he talks about this measuring line, and they didn't have a tape measure back then, but they had this line that showed if something was true and right. And he says, I'm going to measure out discipline like I did with Ahab. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Ahab, whose whole family said would be wiped off the face of the earth. He says, I'll wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Let me ask you a question. If you go to get a dish and, and you realize there's something in it and you're getting ready to eat in it, what do you do? You wipe it out. Do you wipe it out a little? Do you kind of get it done? Or do you get it completely clean? I'm not asking college students that question. I'm asking responsible adults, right? What do you do? You wipe it clean, right? If I'm coming to your house today and you're getting ready and you're going to serve lunch, aren't you going to make sure the dishes are completely wiped, completely clean, nothing wrong on it? I hope you are, right? Depending on that. He says, that's how I'm going to treat this country. It's going to be wiped. Look at verse 16 says. Manasseh had shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. Besides the sin he caused Judah to commit, he did evil in the Lord's sight. And the Lord brought discipline. And here's the last thing I want you to know about compromise. Compromise is contagious. Look at what happens in verse 19. So that's Josiah's granddad. Here's his dad. Ammon was 22 when he became king, so he ought to have a little more sense about himself, right? I didn't hear a right there, but he should. He reigned in Jerusalem how long? Now, it's not the shortest reign. There's one king that reigned for about a month. Gives all this, but verse 20. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and his father Manasseh had done. Verse 21. He walked in the ways of his father. He worshipped the idols his father had worshipped. He forsook the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. He was just as bad as his dad. We're just not going to list it all here is what they say. And he gets so bad that it spreads among his people and his advisors and those around him, as it tells us in the next chapter, in the next verse, his officials, they're talking to him. They're, we're good. We're we're good. Everything's happening. Here's what we all do. Here's what you ought to do. But behind his back, they're plotting an assassination and they kill him in his palace. And the people of the land killed those who had killed him. And now our eight year old king, they have a technical word for what Josiah walked into as an eight year old king. You know what it is? A mess. A hot mess. It is ridiculous. And that's why when we get there and it says, he did, he chose, he decided to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father, not turning aside to the right or the left. It is one of the most remarkable verses in all of Scripture. You want to talk about someone going against the flow going against the tide, standing up for what is right in a culture that did not accept it, that is Josiah. Now, now we don't get a sense that Josiah did anything for the first 10 or 15 years that was major. But when he was about 22 years old, about the time his dad took control, he decided to start tearing down the idols. But what he did 
in the 18th year of his reign. So if he's eight and he's the 18th year of his reign, how old is he? How many of you are older than 26 in the room? Now, some of you aren't raising your hands. What you... I mean, I may not know your age, but I know. I know it's not that. Right? On the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan. I'm not going to read all those names because you know, you know them all. You don't have to read them all. Go up there to the high priest, give him the money, and let's do some things. Now, here's what I want to talk to you about for our time remaining, just real quickly. If you find yourself in a compromising position or compromise spiritually, morally, ethically, legally, integrity-wise, relationship-wise, what do you do? Josiah shows us three things to do. First of all, you rebuild the places of God. Here's what Josiah does. He says, listen, I've been up to the temple. I'm ashamed of it. It's in disrepair. It's got things in it that shouldn't be in it. It is not in a good way. This is not, we've got to slap a coat of paint on it. He tells them, go buy lumber. He says, go buy materials. He says, we got a major rebuilding project to do. We've got to get this thing back together. It is falling apart. The house of the Lord is falling apart. Let's take care of it. And so he sends them, it tells us there. He, he uh, entrusts them all this stuff and have these men. It tells us in verse 5, um, Pay the workers to repair the temple, the carpenters, the buildings, the masons. Have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. They don't need to worry about accounting for the money. Isn't that what y'all, y'all think, you know? Don't, don't worry about where the money goes. Just do whatever you got to do, right? That's what y'all tell me all the time. Yeah, I know, I know. Y'all know sarcasm when you hear it, right? He said, don't worry about it. And here's the point he's making. It doesn't matter at this point what it costs. We got to get the house of the Lord back together. Now, we need to understand that there's a different understanding of the house of the Lord then and even the house of the Lord now. The house of the Lord then, the temple was the um, manifest presence of God was supposed to dwell in the temple in Jerusalem. The, we realize God is everywhere, but God says, if you want to know where my presence is going to meet with you, where you're going to know it's there, it is in the temple of God as long as you keep it up and you do what is right. And so when he looks at it, he says, we have to make sure the place where God's spirit dwells and the place we have to meet with God is prepared and ready and right. And we've got to do whatever it takes, no matter the cost, to get back to a place where God's house is in order. Now, this is not the place where we start another push for the all in building campaign. All right. Because that's not what it means for you necessarily. What it means for us is we rebuild and replace God into the places in our lives where we ought to have been in the first place. So in your home, your spouse, with your children, with your grandchildren, you make it a priority to talk about the Lord. You make it a priority to live for the Lord. You make it a priority to pray at meals. You talk about, you leave church and you have conversations on Sunday afternoon about what was in the sermon or what was in Sunday school or what you talked about. That It doesn't just become your private faith. You have a, a devotional. You talk about it. You know what I was reading this morning when I was looking at things this morning? You have just general conversations that it permeates your life. And your finances, that suddenly God is at the beginning and the end of your finances. And you're spending on things that God is honored by, that God is using for His glory and for His kingdom. In your relationships, you make sure God is at the priority of what you're doing. 
in your schedule, you make sure that God has priority in the decisions you're making about how you're spending your time. So the first thing you do is you, you rebuild the places of God. Here's the second thing, and I love this. Verse 8 says, Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shapham, the secretary, Hey, um, while we were getting that temple thing ready, crazy thing happened. We found this book. And we think it's kind of important. You might want the king to look at it. You return to a priority on the Word of God. Here's what's crazy about this. And it's not crazy when you think about 55 years, 57 years when you include Ammon. 57 years of compromise and walking away from the Lord. They come to this and they say, here's what's think. We we don't even remember where the book of the law is. We didn't know we had it. It is mind-numbing to think how far they had gotten away from the Word of God that they didn't even know where it was. Aren't you glad you've never misplaced your Bible? Okay, maybe not for 57 years though, right? Now, we have to remember that they didn't have personal copies of God's words. In fact, as I look around, it's fun for me to see many of you have your head. You're looking at it. I know you're, look, well, you're looking at something. I hope it's the Bible. You're gazing into it. You have it. Some of you I see it is well worn. It is highlighted. That is great. You realize that for the history of all civilization, most people have not had one of these. And in this time, the people didn't have one for sure. There was one. And if you had accidentally stuck it, I mean, there are crevices in this church that if you stick something in, it's not going to get seen for a few years. Amen. I, can, I was waiting on one. When we cleaned out this, Glenn's on our building and ground. When, when you cleaned out this place for the, to do the remodel, we were pulling out stuff going, wow, anybody know where this came from? We had people that had been a part of the church for 30 years. I've never seen that before. I don't even know what that is. There are still, I've been pastor here almost seven years now. There are still moments, I think I've been all around this place, and I'll stumble upon something like, what is that room? They misplaced the Word of God. But here's what I love about it. It's not just that they find it. It's what happens when they do. They take it to the king in verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Don't you want to be that guy? Maybe you've been living away from the Lord. Maybe you've been living apart from Him. Maybe you've been walking in a way that you know is not right. And then you're confronted with the truth of God's Word and you immediately change. It says He tore His robes. There is grief. That is the sign of grief in Scripture. When Jacob thought Joseph had been killed, he tore his robes. When Joshua and Caleb come back from the promised land and they give the report and Israel rejects it and moves away from God, they tear their robes. When Jephthah makes a terrible vow to the Lord and says, I'll kill the first person that walks out as a sacrifice and his daughter walks out, he tears his robe. When David hears that Saul and Jonathan have been killed in war, he tears his robes. When Job hears that he has lost all of his land, all of his family, everything he's got, he tears his robes. It is the same anguish here for Josiah when he realizes how far they have walked away from the Lord. And when we find ourselves in a compromised situation, we first rebuild the places in our lives that God has dwelled. And then we begin to return to the word of the Lord and we seek it out for daily nourishment and understanding what God intends for us to do.
And here's the third thing. And it's one word. And it's one none of us like. But we need. We repent. They go and they get this uh, prophetess. Now, just a quick word. If it's got S on the end of it, what does that mean? It's female, right? And she's a really cool lady. I mean, except for her name. Hulda. Not Hilda. Hilda's a fine name. Great name. Hulda, right? Hulda. They go and get Hulda. And Hulda comes back and Hulda tells them. And this is one of the things that's kind of interesting. Hulda says basically it's too late. The, the people's hearts are too hard. In Scripture, there is this understanding throughout that a hard heart is something that will stop us every time from hearing from the Word of God and living as God intends for us to do. But he says, but for you, Josiah, and I love this. This is what the Lord says in verse 18 to you. Because your heart was, and my version says responsive. You might get a different word there in verse 19. Because your heart was tender, humble. Here's the point. It was soft. You heard the word of the Lord. You changed. Do you want to know what basically the crux, the turning point, the pivotal moment in this entire thing is? Is that the moment that Josiah, who is trying to do what the Lord wants him to do, is confronted by the word of God and he realizes that he is not doing what God intends for him to do. His heart is tender enough and his pride is low enough that he is willing to do whatever God asks. There are some of you here. You've been in church almost every Sunday for your entire life. And that doesn't guarantee anything about the tenderness of your heart towards God. There's some of you that know you're an area of compromise in your life, in your work, in your relationships, in your business, in your church, in your spiritual life, that you have compromised. And there are Sundays that you hear it and it touches your heart and you walk out of here and nothing changes and nothing happens and you ignore it. And every time you do, the heart inside of you hardens just a little bit more. There's nothing more tragic than a heart that will not be soft and tender towards the Lord. Josiah hears it. He's king of the country. He hears it. And he says, i got to change. So here's my question to you. Where have you compromised? Where are you compromised? What is the Lord telling you to do about it? And is your heart tender enough to change? Let's pray together.